At times, I'm sure all of us have become a little disappointed, downhearted, wondering where the people are. And the Lord showed me a couple things. Have you all seen the, the show Survivor? Have you ever watched Survivor? Where the people are on the island and they've got to do all these things and there's trickery and they do these, uh, they may be, I think they're on this island like 30, 35 days and whoever wins, wins a million dollars, you know. But they start eliminating people. Well, on the show, they they do these things, they do these challenges, a reward challenge where a group of people can get actual food to eat, where they do immunity challenges where you can be, where nobody, you're safe, nobody can vote you off the island, but you can have immunity. And the Lord showed me <laughs> as I was sitting there, our church today has become church, quote-unquote, has become survivor. That we, as a church, have made it a challenge to get the reward. There's puzzles to answer and tricks to do and challenges, physical challenges and puzzles to solve. And if you, if you just get it right, you can have the immunity. They have set roadblocks in front of people. And the Lord showed me, you know, I'd, I saw this, as this last song, does nothing but lift up Jesus. And he showed me a group of people, but in the middle there was lifting up, in the middle lifting up Jesus. And you could see him like ants running down the hillside, coming and the Lord said to me, don't be discouraged because there are faces out there, faces in the religion that are seeking the real reward. And they will come and we will see it. So I guess it's, don't be discouraged. There, there are faces out there that have become so, we just got a flash of, You've seen those masquerade balls where everybody has the false face on, the mask. There are so many out there with that religion. But it doesn't. It's not who they are. Boy, that is good, Lord. Because my message today is, who do you say you are? <laughs> Didn't plan that. I'm not that smart. <laughs> but uh, don't be discouraged. There are people out there that have been put through the challenges to unlock the keys, and they can't do it, and we can't do it. But we have someone who can do it, and who's not can do it, who has already done it. And as Terry has been loved his messages the last couple of weeks, I like all his messages. It challenges me, though I'll never do it the way he does it because <laughs> I won't be able to. But to understand that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, God himself dwells within you right now and within every person 
on this earth. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I go, but Lord, they all know what I'm going to say. They've all heard these verses before. They've. We need to understand where the Lord's heart is for us. And out of the position where he is and who he is, we find great life. Yeah, we have great struggles, but we have even greater victories. We don't have to jump through the puzzles and such. So, I started, and you'll see that this changed. And another little side note I, I challenge each one of you to take a, co a topic and write a sermon on it. A quote sermon. I don't feel like I give sermons, I, I give talks. Write, write it out. Because as you write it out, it's my experience is like the Holy Spirit standing there over my shoulder with his hand on my back going, yeah, no, no, no. And that's good. Because that's what he did in this message that I have here of who do you say you are. And I, I got this out of Luke 9, 18 through 20. And you, you've all heard these verses before, and it's, it's Peter's confession of who Christ is. It starts off in verse 18. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And Jesus listens to all that. And he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. The Christ of God, the anointed one of the Father. And Jesus reveals to all the disciples, and it's amazing only one spoke up, but he reveals to all the disciples that keep that quiet for now. It's not time for that to be released. Because you see, Jesus actually knew who he was. And I find a lot of times we struggle with who we are. And that's why I came up with this title. Who do you say you are? See, Jesus knew already that his position that he was the son of man. He was fully man. He was fully 100% a man. But he was also the son of God sent from God. You go through the Bible and you see he calls himself that he is one with authority and he is the bridegroom and he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the son of God. He is the Lord and Jesus goes through many of his parables and teaching and, and reaching out to the crowd and he teaches them in parables and the crowds love it. They wonder, who is this man with such authority? But it just makes the Pharisees absolutely nuts that this man would say these things about himself. 
if you go back to, uh, and you don't have to turn to these. If you want to just write them down, you can go back to them later. But I'm just going to reference these in John 10, starting in verse 22. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnades. Now realize where he is. He's in the temple. There are Pharisees and there are Sadducees there. The rulers of the law, the rulers of religion were there. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, he's told them so many times, but their ears are deaf and their eyes can't see and their hearts are hardened. And Jesus answers, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's a Selah pause. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he makes this statement. Now remember, he's before all the Pharisees. He goes, I and my Father are one. He knows who he is. He knows his position. And you know it makes the religious crowd angry. Because they know the truth. And later, you know, it goes on and says they want to pick up stones and they want to get Christ. And he says, Christ rebukes them again. But even in Mark, real quick again, Mark 14, Jesus gets into the face of the hierarchy. And this is during his, his trial before the Sanhedrin. And it's in Mark 14, verse 60. And then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am. I am. I am. I am the self-existent one that has always been there. And it, and it comes, you know, from Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14, when Moses is before the bush, and he says, Who should I say sent me? Pharisees knew this story. They knew this their history. They knew their law. Moses gave the law. They knew what happened to Moses. And when Moses asked God who sent me in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 3 of Exodus, God said, tell them I am. 
who I am. That is why it offended them so much. He took their law and put it back in front of them. See, Jesus always knew who he was. You remember in the temple when he disappeared from his mom and dad, and they went looking for him during one of the feasts for a couple of days, and he says, don't you know I'm about my father's business? He knew at a young age who he was. The word I am in the Hebrew, I kind of thought, thought this was kind of funny. Is the Hebrew word, yaha. It means to be and to exist. Who are you? Yaha. Ha ha. <laughs> you Pharisees. And the Pharisees were so angry, they just, they didn't know what to do, and they cried out in their anger and asked the crowds, you know, let's, let's get rid of this. And they started plotting against him. But Jesus had no fear, for he knew who he was. And he was declaring it to the crowd, right there in front of them. Back to Matthew sixteen sixteen, where he asked again, and you know, Peter he says, "Who do you are?" And he says, "You are the Son of the Living God." And from that point on, Jesus taught, it was like a shift in his ministry. He was, t he was teaching the, some deeper things to his disciples. I am the Son of God. I am who I am. And, and he gets into deeper things. He talks things to look for, end times, things that were going to happen to them, things that were going to happen to Jesus. But I came across... This is, this is where the Holy Spirit goes, okay, Greg, why don't you go here? So I went to Matthew 22. 22, verse 34, starting there. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, missed my comment there, hearing that the, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, teaching them what is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your body, soul, and spirit. Jesus goes on and, and he presses the Pharisees. Who is the Son? See, Jesus knew he was the Son, so... Okay, you tell me who the Son is. And he hits them with one of these little statements that if 2 plus 2 is 4, and 3 plus 1 is 4, 3 plus 1 equals 2 plus 2. You know, one of those logical statements. He hit them up with, you know, 
they, they said he was the son of David. Well, how can he be the son of David if David says Lord to him? Makes him think. Kind of like when, and I hope you're all getting more and more confident in, in talking about grace. Because it's like when somebody comes to you and says, well, no, we have to do this to be saved. Well, if everything was finished at the cross and Jesus came to save the world from sin and he said it was finished, did Jesus do it or not? It's one of those questions that you throw at somebody and they go, yeah, but that's an interpretation of blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not difficult to to understand. It's difficult to break the thought patterns that we have carried for so long. I've uh, finished reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I don't know, I assume you all know who C.S. Lewis is. Did the Narnia Chronicles, you'd know him from that. But he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. One of his good friends, and I told Terry this, I said, if I could be with a group of guys and just sit and listen. See, one of his good friends was Tolkien that wrote Lord of the Rings, which has a lot of spiritual overtones to it. And they would sit and they would argue. And they were brilliant men. You know, he and Tolkien both understood the English language and that's why Tolkien could make up all the languages he did in his, in his stories in The Lord of the Rings. But they would sit and they would talk about these things. I would love to have heard the debate. There was other men in the group, and I, I was going to look up and see who they were, but I didn't. But C.S. Lewis, if, if you, this book doesn't press to believe to be a Methodist or believed not to be a Buddhist or believed to be a a Christian. He just says, here's what I see. It's like two plus two is four. Two plus two is four. God and Jesus are one. I also told Terry, I said, yeah, well, you know, we heard this thing like the Trinity is a dance. How he describes it. He beat everybody to the punch 60 years ago. But Jesus knew exactly who he was. And he says, this is the greatest commandments. And I I think he asked this of the Pharisees because The church has become like Pharisees. We are lovers of our position. We are lovers of our titles. We're lovers of praise. We're lovers of our denomination, of our head knowledge, of our abilities. Some people... Some people could preach some of the easiest, dumbest things and make it sound good. That could convince you of things. And we've become lovers of our wealth. But we're not lovers of our God. 
with all our heart. We have become lovers of ourselves who strive for a kingdom. We strive as they do in Survivor to go through the puzzles to get to the end point. There is no striving. We are worried not only about what people say about us, but who we say we are. Say, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, it's right here. Who are you? Do you eat from the tree of life or do you eat from the tree of good and evil, of knowledge? When somebody comes at you and asks you the, about grace, and I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm one of those go, why don't you all see this? My wife understands it to to a very large extent, but none of my family do. Don't want to hear about it. Don't want to read anything about it. My daughter said, but Dad, you have to repent. I said, of what? Of your sins. I said, all your sins were forgotten, forgiven at the cross. What are you doing? You have to repent. Yes, you have to repent of your sins one to another and confess your sins one to another. He didn't say you have to confess your sins to God. God is willing and able to forgive your sins one to another. He's forgotten your sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. And you have that dumb silence when you start talking to people like that. Well, Dad, I've, I've got to go change the baby's diaper. I got... I, I, I have oxen to work. I have somebody to bury. If you remember that from Scripture. I have someplace else to go other than to the truth. Boy, Lord, you're really just doing that to me, aren't you? John 21, there's... It's this, the story of Jesus has been crucified and the disciples and they mention and they've gone back out on the boats to fish. And if you can, read Young's literal translation because there's, there's a couple things in there that are a little more than the NIV or even the King James Where the disciples have gone out to fish and they have fished all night and they have not caught anything. They have not succeeded in catching anything. And they look and see this person on the shore. Young's literal translation, it says, Peter, who's in the boat giving the orders because he was the great fisherman, was standing there and, and you read that when John says it's it's the master, it's the rabbi, and it says John puts or Peter puts on his outer robes and jumps into the water. 
Well, if you read Young's literal translation, it says, Peter was standing naked in the boat, fishing and doing nothing. They had gone back to their old ways. See, they had become so discouraged, even after seeing Jesus several times already, had gone back to their old ways. Not only do I think Peter was standing physically naked before the Lord, he was standing spiritually naked before the Lord. See, when you stand before God, you are stripped of everything, your clothes, everything. You can't hide, and you just can't hide it from him. He sees you as if you were a naked spiritual being. And Peter sees that it's the Lord, and he jumps back into the, into the water and goes to greet him. Because they were trying their old ways, and Jesus says again, throw it out on the other side of the boat. Do what I tell you to do, and you will catch abundance. How many times in our old ways do we want to just stand there and just do it the same old way that we've done things? Jesus showed them that he, they needed him to find fulfillment. Though, when they all got back onto the, onto the land, they all knew it was Jesus, but they were scared to say, Who are you? Who are you? Jesus knew who he was. They had seen all these great things. They had seen him come back to life, and they still... Who art thou? And then we come into the section where Peter is, I guess, restored is one word to use. Peter is lovingly brought back into the understanding that he was never out of the Father's love. And, you know, we've heard it said that, well, Jesus asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. Might be. But part of it has to do with the question that Jesus asked him. How would you feel, Sharon, if the Father came up, Jesus came up to you and said, Sharon, do you love me? Think about that. Do you love me? First of all, Peter, who was just standing naked out in the boat, feeling ashamed about that, coming back in and realizing all he's done, and God, the Son of God, Jesus says, do you love me? See, when when Jesus asks this question, if you, if you look in the Greek, and that's, this is where the crux is. If you look in the Greek, Jesus says, did you phileo me? See, there's levels of love. Before I got married, my first girlfriend, I loved her. It was a shallow, narcissistic, selfish, I want what I want, and I'll love you as long as you, Whatever. And some of us carry that our whole lives. I love you if. 
Then there's the love that goes beyond all that. That in mankind we rarely see. The love that George and Barbara Bush had for each other. The love that a spouse would have for another spouse who became so physically incapable of dealing with anything. They stayed with them and loved them and cared for them without getting anything at all. See, that's what Jesus was saying. Peter, do you phileo me? And he says, Lord, you know I agape you. Well, Norm, I agape you too. That's, that's the level what Jesus was going back to the Father with. And he says again, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me with a love beyond your understanding that you would give me everything that you have and never turn back? Lord, I agape you. You know that. And you got to remember, he's sitting in front of these disciples. My gosh, you know, I wonder how many got up and said, well, I have to go somewhere right now. I, I, I'll go get some more fish or I'll get some more wine or something. I don't want to be asked that question. Then he comes back to him a third time and he says, Peter, do you phileo me? And he says, Lord, you know everything in me. I stand naked before you. Yes. No, phileo is the deep. We can argue that after okay. the fact. Okay. Yeah. But he, he takes him to this point where he says, do you, do you love me? And he says, you have seen me naked. You have seen everything in me. You know who I am. And, you know, whether the, the distinction between phileo and agape... If, if I've got them backwards reading the Greek. But Jesus is taking him to a deeper place, to a deeper understanding. And Peter breaks down, and Jesus just gives him a commandment. And then he goes on to tell Peter what's going to happen to him and what is going to be the results of his deep love. Again, but trying to address one more question. Sure. So the phileo is that deep friendship, that deep intimate relational, horizontal kind of love. I'll have to go back and okay. read my my Greek. But, and this is where the Lord turned around and Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder again and said, okay, Greg, your message is, who do you say you are? Who do you say you are? That's not important. It's who the Father says you are. 
See, we all have different views of ourselves. We all have different ways of looking at ourselves. And if we go by who we say we are, I'm a loser. I'll never amount to anything. Nobody will ever want to hear what I have to say. Nobody ever is going to love me. That's what I grew up with. That's who I say I am. But if I look at what the Father says about me, Greg, you're my son who I love and I'm well pleased with. Greg, when I look at you, I see Jesus. Not because of anything you've done, but by everything he has done. And you have accepted that. And I accept you. And no one will ever take you out of my hand and you will always be mine. It's not who we say we are. It's who he says we are. And we slip back into that. Because we always have that person talking in our ear or sending this, I'm going to send you a loving text. If you would only do this, you know. And you go, oh, where did I fail? You haven't failed. You all are sons and daughters. You are all loved by him. You are of all, you don't have to go to Survivor Island to go through the hoops and the locks and the puzzles and the training and the whatever you want to call it. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to do those things. It is given to you. And it was given to you before you were even here because it happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. And we died with him and we rose with him. And he lives in us. Right where Terry said, right? Right there. Right there. He's, he's always right there with you. Full in you. And you just, you can't forget that. I have, I'm going to end with a little bit of C.S. Lewis's writings. Very good because these are just a series of radio messages he gave. And they're, each little chapter is about 10 pages. So it, it's really, you know, it's, it took me a little while to get into understanding his thought patterns and his, his, his teaching. But boy, I enjoyed it. And this little section is called The Obstinate Toy Soldier. And I won't lay down why he's talking about little tin soldiers. But he's talking about a God who loves us so much that he made, he made himself just like us so we could understand him. He came down to us. And in this one just little paragraph he goes, What then is the difference which he has made to the whole human mass? It is this, that the business of becoming a son of God, of being turned from a created thing into a begotten thing, of passing over from the temporary biological life into timeless spiritual life, has been done for us. Humanity is already saved in principle. We individuals have to appropriate that salvation. But the really tough work, the bit we could not have done for ourselves, 
has been done for us. We have not got we have not got to try to climb into spiritual life by our own efforts. It has already come down into the human race. If we will only lay ourselves open to the one man in whom it was fully present, and whom, in spite of being God, is also a real man, he will do it in us and for us. Remember what I said about a good infection. One of our own race has this new life. If we get close enough to him, we will catch it. You see, it, in Jesus' case, it didn't matter what everybody said about him. He knew what the Father said about him. That's where he got his value. And we're the same thing. It doesn't matter that what anybody says about us. And are as close as a husband and a wife, brother, sister. They may not understand you. It doesn't matter because the Father says, you are my son, you are my daughter, who I love and I am well pleased. And that will never be taken from you. So when you're in that hard position, I am his daughter, I am his son. And Jesus' words that I read to you earlier says, and nobody can take you out of his hand. Selah. Amen.